There's nothing better than just playing into who they think you are. Check, check. Yeah. One, two, one, two. Here we go. Doom. So happy I got through. Tell me it's not true that you got fucking deported. Talk about retarded. I bought two of your last seven inches. It's my lunch hour. I brought nothing but gunpowder. But you gotta tell me what's new. I got a lot to do. It came with quite a shock when I heard my man doing the insider talk on a podcast saying you got writer's block. So I thought I would write you this letter. Who knows, maybe it could even light a spark. I just got my eyebrows trimmed, and now I look 25 again. My boys are not 5 and 10, they're 10 and 8, and neither ever are gonna menstruate. How the hell you live away from your babies? I'd rather try to pay for Mercedes. What's up, everybody? Good God. It's cold in New York. What a day. And hey, what's up? This is my podcast, too, by the way. Peter Agostin is my name. This is the house list. You're on it. I just marked your name off. Get up in there. Uh, We have an amazing guest today. One I've been trying to get for a while. And a guy I've known for a long time. Uh, Obviously, you could probably have guessed... uh, by this point in the show, MC Paul Barman on the house list today. Uh, that track that I opened up with is from his most recent mixtape called Blue Moon Kaboom, which you can find on mcpb.bandcamp.com. Go cop that, produced by MF Doom. Um, and we kind of talk uh, about how that came about in our conversation. But I will say this about the conversation. I recorded it in the depths of the snowstorm that just hit New York City and uh, outlying areas. So um, Paul came through uh, after I shoveled the walk and uh, we sat and had a great conversation. And uh, it was kind of like a celebratory type of vibe, you know, so if... (laughs) Uh, and, uh, so yeah, so you'll see, I had a, I had a glass of wine uh, during the conversation and, uh, you know, so we talked a lot about a lot of different things. Um, Paul and I share the same birthday, October 30th. So every year, you know, we wish each other happy birthday, a couple of Scorpios. Um, also want to send a shout out to my old dear friend, Ryan Carlisle, also October 30th and anyone else out there who might have that same birthday. And, um, yeah, we talk about a bunch of stuff, you know. Uh, Paul was even most recently on the reissue of the Prince Paul It's True Mental album, which I put out earlier this fall. There's still a couple copies of that left. It was only a physical release. I'm going to plug it right now, so I want you guys to go get it if you're just realizing that this was uh, re-released in the fall of 2017. Prince Paul, it's true mental. I did 500 copies of a double LP and 100 copies of a cassette. And there's just a few left, which you can buy directly from the distributor at redlinemusicdistribution.bigcartel.com. So that was an album I put out originally in 2005 on my label, Female Fun Records. And Paul was on two of the joints on there, an incredible song called The Night My Girlfriend Left Me and Inside Your Mind, Mr. Dead. Um, 
he also has a relative of his, uh, Youngman, who's on The Redux, which is a free album that came as a download with the vinyl of Instrumental, completely produced by Prince Paul himself. So get that if you were totally unaware of it up until this very point. I couldn't recommend it enough. So, okay, I got that little plug out of the way. I have another one that's very important in relation to the podcast. So over the course of this month, January 2018, on the SoundCloud page specifically, I want to get the followers up to 500. So we're just under that. I'm, I'm, I'm like maybe 30 people away. So if you listen to this on SoundCloud, it's backslash the houseless podcast, then go in there and subscribe. If you listen elsewhere and you just happen to have an account or you feel like starting an account to support the podcast, go in there and let's get the subscribers up to 500 people. I would genuinely appreciate it. It helps me get the word out a little bit more. And the SoundCloud page is how I kind of unload the podcast in every other medium. So it shoots out through RSS feed, which includes, you know, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Google Play, and so on and so forth. Um, So go up on there, the Houseless Podcast on SoundCloud, and let's get those subscribers up to 500. This is the 67th episode of the podcast and by the end of the month i'm going to upload a new logo and uh yeah just a little you know a little something that's all so what else here with paul barman um so he just put out this mixtape blue moon kaboom and uh, shortly before that he had another really great one thought balloon mushroom cloud both on that band camp both with some incredible production and some like super progressive stuff and they're like compilation style mixtapes because he has actually a brand new full-length album that's uh quickly approaching in the new year uh with some amazing production uh, michelle gondry quest love doom and many others on it so we talk a little bit about that and we talk about his past and uh you know then we just kind of riff and have some fun with it it's definitely a, you know, first conversation in the new year type of vibe. So I appreciate you guys checking it out for sure. Much thanks to Paul and all the people out there that subscribe to the podcast. Every episode is edited and engineered by CJ Stewart. And uh, yeah, I, I say we just get into this thing right now, you know, and let's have some fun with it. Um, only here on the house list. My name is Peter Gossin. Thank you guys so much for tuning in. Check it out. You know, we go pretty far back in a way. I've known you for a long time. I was 25, which means you were 20, which means it was 23 years ago. No, 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 no. no. Wait. Was it in California? Yeah. It was, right? Yeah, I remember it. I remember it really well. It was less than 20 years ago. Yeah, it must have been um, in like 2002 or three, probably that I met you at least when like physically because you came to Arcata California and did a show either mm-hmm. in Arcata or Eureka and um, but I'd already known of your records because obviously the first uh, record had a lot of people talked about it it was a talking point uh, which is interesting because the people that were talking about it those all those kind of that medium is all but dead completely but it was like what do you mean like magazines <laughs> You know, and like early websites that no longer exist. And, and it's not that, you know, with this too, I, I, with this conversation too, I don't necessarily want to 
drill you about all your records and stuff like that. But I do want to, because uh, I know perhaps you perhaps you you approach the, some of the old records a bit uh, with some sense of trepidation. Yep. You know, and you don't particularly love talking about them, right? Whatever. Right. I mean, in, I love talking about. Uh, my like work, so yeah, whatever. and you like talking. I mean, and one thing I like talking to you. Yeah, and I like talking to you, and you like talking about ideas and art, and you know the new whatever you're working on now. Like you were just, we just, uh, you know, heard some new stuff that you were mm-hmm, mm-hmm. writing, um, which I love. Thank you. Sorry, I'm meeting again. No, that's all right. It's all good. Um, did you always do the uh, the cards? Um, I discovered that in the process of how to memorize. Right, so it's like note cards. Yeah. Flashcards. So that was after Paululia. Basically, <laughs> after touring that stuff and feeling that I was performing it infinitely better than I had recorded it. Oh, really? Okay. I was like, I'm never going to get caught in a studio situation again where... I'm anything less than the equivalent of having toured the song I'm recording, even if it's new. Right. Right? So a lot of MCs talk about their envy for rock bands and how they try out songs live before they hit the studio. Right, right. And that's when I understood what they meant. So for a long time, every moment of downtime was committed to the index cards. So that I would always have a repository of rhymes that were hardcore memorized. And for anyone who cares who's listening, the method is as follows. You write out each rhyme on an index card, and then you start with the first one, and you don't go to the second one until you have the first one down cold. Okay. And you don't go to the third one until you have the first and second one down cold. Okay, I see. So you keep sort of doing this weird Fibonacci repetition technique until you just know it completely cold. And then when you record, hopefully you're able to get playful with it and experiment. And now you're doing something at the level at which at the equivalent of having toured it. So you go in there when you record, at least during that time, I don't, I don't, and I don't know how it's evolved with, with the years, Like, so you're completely have memorized the song. No, then the index cards took a life of their own. Right, because some rappers became, have done that, like would memorize their line first. I think Jay-Z, you know, is very, like, uh, um, you know, popular for at least allegedly, like, Memorizing his lyrics ahead of time, going into the studio, basically, quote-unquote, like, freestyling them on his songs. Right. Like, I don't know if I necessarily believe that myth, but this what you're describing is a bit different. Well, now the index card thing became different as well. It stopped being such a rigid, linear memorization tool and started becoming so many different things. A way of resequencing on the fly, right. adding and subtracting, rewriting, um, even... Even um, well, I saw you doing that when you were doing when you were just kicking this rap too, because you skipped a couple things too. Actually, I I feel like I left a few too many things in, but um, it also be, uh, is is the okay. The words I'm searching for is like 
it becomes the repository for th- it becomes like the final location mm-hmm. in a frantic life where you might be writing on the back of a receipt and on a notes app and just writing down cool stuff from a friend who's recommending things right 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 so just in case all the electricity goes out and I completely lose track of all the different places I'm writing things. This is kind of like the final analog place where I can always access. Right. The, one one of my fantasies, like, is did you did you see that Joan Rivers documentary? I haven't. I would she love has to a wall sized card catalog, or maybe it's the other guy. I can't remember. I think it's the other guy. The guy who was managed by the same guy as Seinfeld. I, th- I can't remember. Maybe it was Joan Rivers. Anyway, she has all her... So basically, one lifelong dream is that I could get like a library card catalog and alphabetize my index cards by song title and just always have everything. And that would be incredible. Ready. Yeah, that would be absolutely amazing. You would probably be the only person in the world that had something like that as far as songs go as a songwriter. I don't know. I wonder. But now, would it start on? A, does it start on a single page, or does it? Would Would you ever have you done a song at all, or a, you know, lyrics where it literally is starts one lyric at a time per card, and then it's just an, an accumulation of of cards makes up the sum of that makes up a final song. There's never like you know traditionally rappers uh, would write it on one piece of paper or a couple pieces that of paper in too. a notebook. So it's okay. So and, it's if, and when that happens, I might have some notebooks here. Okay. Sure. I don't have any handy. When that happens, I still put them on index cards. You know why? Because if you're reading on the mic, mm-hmm. there's two dangers there, at least. The first one is that it sounds like you're reading. Right. Which I can't say is not happening on index cards. Right, but right. The second one is that your eyes don't just move down, your head moves down. And as you read, you're not equal on each line against the mic. Right. Whereas when you're flipping index cards, you're looking straight ahead and your mouth is right at the mic equally. Line, uh, you know, couplet or stanza. Yeah, stanza. I get it. Yeah, well, your head, as your head bends, so does like your neck and I guess your exactly. projection exactly. changes. Exactly, yeah. Yeah. It's a very technical way to look at it, you know. Um, that's interesting. I'm fascinated with how you write your stuff because it's so dense. It, it is. It's almost like you can... It, now it sort of makes a little more sense if it's card for card because you can be a lot more impactful when you have one single card that's dedicated to, like, two or three words or two or three bars yeah, or a depends. bar. You know? I know, yeah. I mean, I've been right. I've been doing a lot more stream of consciousness stuff lately. You know, I remember when I was first working with Prince B, and he, I was like, "A song takes me a month." He's That's like, what you told him. Yeah, and he goes, "That'll change." I remember that so distinctly. He goes, "That'll change," and he said that with so much authority, and I was like, "Okay," says you, right. you know. And all these years later, I'm like, it has changed. I, I used to struggle to make a long song, and now I struggle to make a short song. I'd love to, since you brought him up, I know it's like he, he appeared at a certain place in your career where you'd already, 
you know put out the EP and you put out the the uh, you know the the dissertation record. Uh, that's not the right way to describe postgraduate it. work. Yeah, yeah. But Prince B, you know, uh, may his soul rest. Mm-hmm. What a unique individual and artist. Um, and you guys did like a lot of songs together. Nah. A handful. Nope. Just no. Twelve inch. Oh, he wasn't. He didn't appear on the album on the nope. on Hallelujah. So then I got the. I have this record here. Let's see it. Hey. Uh, <laughs> and uh, which was on Matador Records, right? Yep. So I mean, it might be jumping ahead, but uh, but it's totally fine. I mean, I would just love to talk about your experience with him, even briefly. Okay. And and just Matador too, if you feel like talking about that. But like, we don't have to talk. The label stuff is boring, but you know. Um, but yeah, Prince B, who who people may or may not know now, um, uh, you know the listeners at least. Uh, obviously, the front man of PM Dawn. Uh, I did a show with Prince B as well. And oh his, yeah, and his later, well after this, almost ten years after this record came out, um, at the Knitting Factory. And but he also went by all those motherfucking reasons. Was that his? Was that him? What was his production name? He I had forgot a, about that. I he that went by that. Right. All the I think because you remember this group called the Mood Swingers. Yes. On Raw Shack Records. Yes. That was their home, label. Yeah. Home with, uh, was it? Mm-hmm. It was like a Greek guy or someone with a Greek name. What? I, I could be wrong, but and then of course J. Yo, Live I thanked Dragon my Rights. fictional characters in the thank yous on this twelve. Who, who are those people? <laughs> Mrs. Vijay. Huh. Giggy Mc. So Mrs. Vijay is the origin. Of what is now known as VJJ, but you know, through language's uh, organic evolution, abbreviation is very common. So it went from Mrs. VJJ to Mrs. VJJ to VJJ. Giggy McGiggs was my fake name for booking my own shows. Nice. Autumn was the protagonist of I'm Freaking Awesome. Pan Man was the protagonist of Enter Pan Man. Yep. Yo, a buddy of mine suggested re enter Pan Man, which blew wow. my mind. Because my man Memory Man was like, you should be doing songs from the point of view of Harry Mothal after he heard Excuse You. Yeah. Because the final lines are, if you remember, it goes, uh, I got a very goth towel, a terry cloth cowl, and when I wear it, I'm a Harry Mothal. And it was just like a rhyme that I thought was crazy, but he was like, that's a character. You need to rhyme from the point of view of Harry Mothal. <laughs> and, I'm a, and so we made Harry Mothal together. On Thought Blue Mushroom Cloud. Yep. And on the new album, I have Harry Mothal Part 2, and I'm working on a mixtape. I've already written Harry Mothal Part 3 and 4. Anywho. And the origin M- is from like around this time, too. So. MC Fibonacci sequence. Who? Th- did that ever That's exist? on postgraduate work. Okay. So I've never heard that, if you can believe that. What? Even though I know you later put it, it's on Bandcamp, right? It's like. No. Oh. I have sevens at home. I'll bring you one. I would love that. They Pop- come in top dollar. I know. I was about to say I could probably pay my rent this month. <laughs> no, not that much. <laughs> I could probably pay my cell phone bill at least. Maybe. Um, yeah. Okay. But no. But So what was Prince B like? I thank the sea monkeys on here. Uh, do you know Dave the Spaz, the, a DJ on WFMU? Well, that name rings well. No, I don't know. Huge. Not... Yo, FMU, huge influence. I got to get them sure. a new um, mixtape. I love w- WFMU. Terry T. Uh, my good dear friend Noah Uman. Oh yeah, yeah. Is he around? 
He lives in Long Beach, California with Jen Newman, great illustrator. Really? Mm-hmm. They moved to L.A. That's his wife? Yeah. What's, what did she illustrate? Um, she does like her own stuff, sells prints and, and things. Oh my god, solo art. David Solo. Who was that? He gave me a great job in Chapel Hill. Oh, wow. He had inherited all this money and was spending it on um, an art project where he'd like cast his naked body and was like going to do something in ca- with these giant lead sheets. And I was like cutting. He wanted perfect squares of lead. And they were like pretty close to perfect squares, but I had to like cut them with mat knives. It was totally carcinogenic. It was $12 cash an hour. <laughs> Und- uh, I think it was under the table. Uh-huh. And I was living like a king in Chapel Hill. My rent was 200 and something dollars for my room. <laughs> That's incredible. Am I like the guy talking about how uh, ice cream cones were a nickel? <laughs> oh, man. No, I think at any time, any year, if you could say that your rent was $200. Although there's the still some places. The is where I scooped ice cream. In Chapel Hill? Yeah. So how long did you live there for? You were there for a couple of years, right? Uh, no. One or Not less. Even? Okay. Because you, you weren't going to school there. You no. just found yourself there? Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, Paul had told me we're going to record in a year. Okay. Prince Paul. Yeah. Yeah. So I went down there for a variety of reasons. Mm -hmm. And one of them was to, like, write and wait. Oh, cool. Yeah. Interesting. So was that radio... Remember how they have the the radio thing on this... On your record, on the EP? Um, Yeah. So That's that radio thing was from Chapel Hill? Uh-huh. From UNC Chapel Hill? Or, no, or, it was... It's a college radio station. Probably WXDU, which was uh, Duke, Durham. Duke, Where I yeah. ultimately had a station. They wouldn't let me have a show at WXYC, which was the incredible freeform uh, Chapel Hill station, because right. you had to be a student to have that. But at XDU, you didn't have to be a student. So you DJed on the radio there? Mm-hmm. What was that? Did you just go by your name? Yeah. What was the show all about? Was hip-hop? So they had a sort of, um, God, is anyone going to be interested in this? I'm, I'm interested in it. I mean, everyone else, hopefully, if they, it if wasn't, they like to be, they could be. I, it mean, wasn't, I am, though. It wasn't raw freeform like XYC. You had like three shelves of chosen records. You had certain number of them that you had to play during your show, and then the oh, rest was completely free. Right. It, I, don't have, I don't think I have any tapes. But it was largely, it's probably largely hip hop. That record, which is the, you know, obviously this has been talked about for years and, and has changed a lot of things, uh, you know, thrust you into like this sort of, you know, into the press lexicon. What was the cover? Uh, Where did you shoot this? Was this in New York? Yeah. Do you know any of these people? Thank God, yes. That was not the intention. All like, of them? No. Some cute. Uh, Leah Teneri is a very accomplished painter who still lives in the LES. This person? Yes. Sebastian Blanc is also a well known painter at this point. Mm-hmm. The rest were strangers chosen for the diversity of their so called ethnicity. I hated this cover. I thought it was devoid of concept, extremely 
poorly executed, as you can see. I don't know why you have cellophane on it. It's dog shit. Well, I like the hype sticker. <laughs> so as soon as, as soon as it sold out, best-selling record ever on Word Sound. Word? I demanded a reshoot for the cover, which I got. Oh, nice. The back cover is sick. I have yeah, the original I mean, this is all, for this somewhere. Oh, you do? This is all your penmanship? Yes, sir. Um, and Bunny Loaferbread on a sofa bed makes a later appearance on... Um, oh, you have the CD too, Jesus. Yeah. I'm going to have to scan this. Actually, no, because I'm not... Oh, look how bad the back looks on the CD. You can't really read it. It's a weird Pathetic. color of black and you know. dark, like royal <laughs> blue and black. But, uh, yeah, I mean... It's a great record. I mean, so so what you just basically spent the time in Chapel Hill just kind of writing, slowly developing ideas. Were you sitting on music? In Ayurveda, they say popcorn is the worst. What's that? What is that? Ayurveda is one of the oldest surviving knowledge bases. <coughs> if you accept the thesis that this is probably better than the one I brought. I can assure you that. <laughs> Sorry. My landlord gave it to me for New Year's. <laughs> Fine. It's great. It's hopefully mm. still good. It's much better. Oh, my goodness. Um, okay, so here's how I see these knowledge bases in reverse chronology. Let's see if I can remember my list. Okay. Myers-Briggs... Mm-hmm. The whatever zodiac that we live by—I don't know what kind, what the name of that zodiac is. Like the astrological zodiac, yeah. The Western astrological zodiac, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. the Chinese zodiac. Uh, and then Ayurveda. So I shouldn't be calling them knowledge bases per se. They're like types. They're like classifications of types of people, right? So if I was doing that, (coughs) it would be um, ENFP, which is so-called idealist champion, Scorpio, Tiger, Vada, Pita, I think. Oh, that's... You're per each one of those things. I'm each one of those things. So, okay, because Tiger, Scorpio, because that's obviously your so, two so, zodiacs. So, but Tiger is older than Scorpio. Right, right. Well, the Chinese zodiac is obviously, must be much older, right? Right. But Vatapita is, I believe, is older than Tiger. Okay, okay. So... Maybe all of them are nonsense. Maybe none of them. Maybe it's a combination. Maybe it doesn't matter. What makes this listing interesting is if you subscribe to the idea that the older it is, the longer it survived, the more useful it is, the more accurate it is. Mm-hmm. Okay, I understand that. So if you're Vatapita, which is very fiery, you're not supposed to eat dry things like popcorn and crackers. You're supposed to be, eat wet things. So, like, the only bread you eat is, like, sopping with molasses. Or, like, mm-hmm. if you ever get served a piece of toast, you're like, why would you put fire in my food? It's going to dry me out. Right, I'm right. going to 
drown it in wine and eat it <laughs> sopping wet like oatmeal. Uh-huh. <laughs> you see what I mean? Yeah, yeah. Anyway. Brilliant. I, I never really thought about that. But I did. that did remind, remind me that, you know, when you said Scorpio, uh, I'm a Scorpio because obviously we... Same a... birthday. What's the significance of that, Peter? I don't know. I, I like to think that... It has given me a certain allegiance to you. Absolutely. Well, I think of you every time I have my birthday. Same. You know, and, and over the years that... I, you know, I can rem- I remember vividly many, many years ago coming to New York, landing, uh, I think it was on my birthday, uh, to visit... This is like pre-9-11 as well, if I'm mm-hmm. not mistaken. Mm-hmm. And when I have like a, an Ericsson cell phone... <laughs> Like a little mini brick, and uh, talking to you. I, I think. I mean, this is a long time ago. I also, uh, but I love it. I love. Uh, what was your experience like having that as a birthday? It's a kind of a unique day to have a birthday. Well, obviously, it's competitive with Halloween. Yeah. And so the party thing is like a little weird because Halloween's the best <laughs> holiday and the best party, and you don't exactly want to compete with that. Right. That only starts being cool and stops being a problem. At whatever age, people are not sure they want to celebrate Halloween. Yes, I've experienced which that. Which doesn't, which takes a long time. Right. And then stops again because people <laughs> resume knowing how awesome Halloween is. Yeah, that's an interesting perspective. Yeah, I'm, I'm still in the phase of being like, I kind of hate Halloween. But why? Well, I mean, I don't know, because I'm just a curmudgeon like that. Now, if listen, if I had children, it would be a different thing. I would probably love it. Uh-huh. You have kids, so you can relive some of that childhood wonderment that comes with it, right? I really like being on makeup duty. I'm pretty good at it. Yeah. I really enjoy like taking the request and pulling out paintbrushes and making it happen. And they probably like it too, right? It's fun. It's exciting. It's awesome. Yeah. And I definitely wish it happened every day. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I know. I, I, I used to love Halloween when I was a kid, and I got really involved with it. And then by late teens, I was just like, fuck it, man, I hate it. <laughs> I can't stand it. You and had then, an older brother. Did you trick-or-treat together? No, never. Why not? I don't think I ever once ever trick-or-treated with my brother. Well, you would like it if you did. <laughs> I would love to now. It would be hilarious. <laughs> Well, he's eight years older than me, so he mm-hmm. by the time he was already kind of like you know we were traveling slightly different paths uh, growing up because he was already kind of older. Right. When I was still like an adolescent, he was. Did like, he hip you to music? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, he had a, a Grandmaster Flash tape, uh huh, um, and also Eddie Murphy tape, uh huh, and like Michael Jackson. Uh, and a Jackson 5 Victory album all on tape. I remember very vividly, like around 84, 85. So, um, yeah. And my parents had a lot of records and classical music and like Donovan Mm. and uh, Men at Work. Nice. Yeah, that was my childhood records. A lot of Men at Work. Really? (laughs) Yeah, I don't know why. They had a bunch of records. Yeah, they had those two. (laughs) Uh, Business as Usual and Cargo. I mean, those are... I love Cargo. It's a good album. I think I had that on my ex back then. Yeah. Men at work. I probably had both. You know what? It's a good album for kids. I don't you should play it for your kids. They I don't know. They I might don't have be getting, anymore. They might be getting they a little might like old. It though. Yeah. There's some very imaginative songs and shit. You know? Like what? 
the cover of Cargo is reimaginative. I don't remember the yeah, songs. And Business as Usual, which had like the big like amp chord coming out and stuff. I don't know. I can only remember Johnny Be Good right now. That's the only really? song for <laughs> They did Johnny Be Good? Yeah. It's their own it's a weird version of it. I guess. Are they from Australia? Yeah, they're Australian. I come from the land down under. Oh yeah, there was that too. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Midnight Oil, that was another Australian band. You remember them? Yes. They, kind of, they, they sucked, right? I don't want to say that. I just remember the bald guy in Midnight Oil. Um, Look, their message was good. But yeah, they, were no they had a couple cool dead videos. They were definitely not the Dead Kennedys, no. Um, you know, I have another really crazy, this is more a macabre kind of memory. Um, I wouldn't even say that that discredits it, not to credit this, but, you know, this memory of me and you talking, uh, I think it was even on during this same trip. Um, when I came to New York, it might have been later, actually, but um, I was here many, many years ago, before I lived here, and I was out with friends that had come to New York to visit. Uh, I had some friends that lived here, and some of their siblings had come to the city, and we went out to, like, the East Village and the Lower East Side, like, bar hopping or something, and... Um, a brother of one of my friends, like, we kind of got split up as the night went on, uh, was robbed and murdered oh at, an a- at an ATM, uh, like in Jesus, Soho. That's awful. And, I, and then we were, uh, at the days to, to come following that, um, we were, like, sequestered in, like, this, like, hotel, like, a, in the Bowery on Broadway. And I remember vividly talking to you on the phone, um, telling you what happened. Uh, from this hotel and I was really um, very much like on the peripheral of it because it was like a f- it was like two families and they were friends with these two girls and it was an unsolved mystery that's never been solved to this day the guy was, he was a great guy he came to New York just to hang out because they were from Chicago and he was on his way to Washington D.C. and just got a job um, and was out and went to an ATM and two guys held him up and then shot him, robbed him and never got caught. Uh, and I remember talking to you on the phone the days after that, just explaining what happened. I don't know why or how, maybe because I didn't know many people in New York or I mean, uh, just a handful of friends, but for some reason we were talking and I explained what happened and I, that memory always kind of sticks. I in fact even wrote it down when I was thinking about, Oh yeah, what was, I'm trying to remember stuff that we encountered over the years. I know it's kind of a strange tangent in this conversation. Not at all. But it's something that reminded me of you in a weird way. Mm-hmm. Well, um, I'm sorry that I don't remember it, but I'm glad that I was there for it. Yeah, yeah. Because I was so on the outside of it, because it wasn't like... <clears throat> but I was very much there. I'm present. But I do recall talking with you about it but we can you know but that was probably yeah very early 2000s if not like yeah, I think it was before 9-11 um, if I'm not mistaken yeah so I would like to go back a little bit more and just talk about growing up here you didn't grow up in New York City but you kind of grew up around here right? <clears throat> my father always lived in Manhattan and my mother always lived in New Jersey and that's where I went to school Ridgewood New Jersey mm-hmm. right uh, Ryan Monahan told me that I didn't know that Ridgewood 
but I wanted to mention him too because we are mutual friends. And earlier this evening, because we had a big snowstorm in New York, I had to shovel his uh, stoop for him. Had to. Well, yeah, he called me from Spain and made me. <laughs> um, but so so okay. So then going back. So going back and forth. Did you go back and forth? Oh yeah. Is that a back and forth thing? Are you yeah. kidding me? Yes. So those must have been. Were they two pretty different experiences? Absolutely. The Jersey side and the city side. Yeah. What part of Manhattan are we talking about? How low or how high or middle? Twenty third in the East River. Interesting. So Midtown, Chelsea. They call it Murray Hill. I don't know why. Oh well, never heard. It's that. not Midtown per se. Right. It's it's not Chelsea because Chelsea's west. Oh, on the, in the well, you said twenty third and what? East side. So by the water. Yep. Oh, interesting. By the hospital, there's mm-hmm. a, yeah. right across from Bellevue. Oh, interesting. Very city. Do you guys go to the water? Walk along the water? You know, it was very city, and yet it was very isolated at the same time. Well, you're nowhere near a train. Apartment complex. It's not that far from the six. Okay. Although, most of my train experience at that time was getting to the city. After that, we didn't use the subway a whole ton. Uh My father had a car, and I used to walk from there to St. Mark's place and look at the records that I heard buy the ones I heard on FMU like a Kim's or something uh, Sounds was the big one. Oh, Sounds did you hear the track and we would say NYC on the mixtape I talk about oh, it on that no I gotta go back to that I thought you heard the mixtape I did hear the mixtape but I, and I apologize for that's not, all good I talk a, a lot about that alert. stuff uh, what does he say he goes I can't hold back this round of brain thoughts. Every Saturday, I'd walk from Waterside to St. Mark's. That's wow. Yeah, that's that stuff. Quite literally. Yeah. Yeah. See here. Have you ever heard of it? Oh, see here. Uh, that rings a bell, but no, I don't. I think went so. there pretty much any time I visited my father. So what years Once, are we, or what are we talking about, the ni- late 90s, mid 90s? Well, let's see. Or are we talking about, because you're a little older than me. Um, I mean. This is the 1980s. <clears throat> I guess so. 80s and 90s. Uh, see here was the ultimate zine destination. Uh-huh. And alternative comics a little bit too. And. I'm certain that if the internet was around when I was in high school, I would have been addicted because I ran to see here as fast as I could every single weekend I was in New York because it felt like the place where you experience ideas from other planets. Hmm. Speaking of which, Duplex Planet was one zine that I purchased on site. That was your go-to? It was one of them. Okay. Because if you look at, you know, it's very stimulating, and the the one for, before that, it had, you know, the, the, the actual writing, as far as, like, your penmanship, and, you know, the sort of aesthetic, too, is very much... And, I mean, the, you know, later you would have the Anarchist Bookstore, too. I mean, there is... I wrote Anarchist Bookstore Part Zero. Oh, were? I wish... I had a special herb that no one heard, so I could record Anarchist Bookstore Zero to it. But I think I know which one I'm going to use. Mm-hmm. I'm trying to remember, you know, I had a version of Special Herbs 3 
because I put that one out. I put out one and three. You did? I did. And my I had a original master that Doom gave me that I I think has one extra song that we didn't use because it, but but I think it eventually came out on one of the many. That's the one I used for already no subject because I didn't realize that it had been released. Really? That's on the mixtape too. Is it a Boscag sample? It is. Yes, that's what I was <laughs> referencing earlier. Right. Okay. So basically, okay, this is going to sound weird. Right. I always felt a telepathic connection to Doom. Okay. Since when, like, how did that? How did you engage? In as that? soon as I heard his music. <laughs> okay. okay. And <clears throat> so, one day. I was, like, tired of not speaking with him in analog ways. And I demanded that we start communicating however possible. Okay. And when I got in touch with him, I was so excited that I wasn't going to respond to his email via email. I was going to do, like, an audio email. (laughs) Okay. And the subject line of the email I got was... No subject. So the response was RE no subject. Yes. And I was like, what would be the craziest beat to use? It'd be the one that Peter gave me that I was sworn to secrecy on. Uh-huh. And I wasn't so familiar with all the special herbs volumes that I, at the moment, I didn't realize it had actually been heard by other people. I thought I had this crystal gem of an <laughs> herb that I could crumble into my audio interface and rhyme on and and that's why I chose it which was really weird because it like it worked out really well it was like I chose it for a weird reason it wasn't because I was I mean I ended up liking it but I chose it for a reason of exclusivity versus more formal reasons so um, yeah I wish that you had an unreleased one because I because really I have so many rhymes right now. <laughs> that I know, yeah. I mean, it's funny because you and Doom have done um, a small handful of songs. Yeah, yeah. It's What's weird is the most popular one is the hot guacamole one, right? That's Which, not weird. But for me, I find that weird because was... I don't know. Maybe it isn't... I don't know. Ev- Listen, if anyone cares who's listening, if you're an MC and you know another MC get in the same room together and trade lines instead of verses. Right. Because Back and forth. everyone loves that. Yeah. There's many great duos in hip-hop that, that made that very, did that very well. EPMD, of course, Nice and Smooth. Um, yeah, You and Doom on that song. I would love to do an album of collaboration rhymes where the single parameter is all being together and trading lines and right. writing together. Yeah, that would be incredible. It sounds so simple, doesn't it? Um, yeah, but I think because you and I kind of come from, uh, we're a little old-fashioned, you know, and from a time when it it didn't seem like inconceivable for a couple <laughs> of artists to all get physically into a studio or a room together. How are you going to spread love while you're lonely? people that's a good point it's a great point 
Um, I want to talk more about, dig even deeper into your career, um, if we can. Uh, and, <laughs> but you're like a closed book, though, so it's a little, it's, it's, it's interesting, because you don't like, I can't, you're not just like laying it all out there for me. I have to, I have to plan I feel some. like I am. I think you're being quite revealing, but I mean, there's, um, there's so much more to it. You know, it's also interesting, the movie, I think this is like the only feature-length film that you're in but next year or this year it's not no longer 2017 we're now yet still in the first week of of our of 2018 but uh, be kind rewind oh yeah it's 10 years anniversary oh really yeah it came out in 2008 okay um and then you and michelle gondry did he produced some shit on your so what is that how we is had a whole music? we were working on an album what how uh i was at a barbecue a beautiful Brooklyn rooftop barbecue, and I believe that he Questlove was there, and Gondry was like, "I'm looking for a lyricist. I'm so tired of coming up with all the song ideas. I just want a lyricist who will bring me the ideas, and I can help make the music." Right. And Quest was like, "Well, Barman's over there. Talk to him." <laughs> and so. I think he came up to me and introduced himself, which just completely blew my mind because I was such a massive fan of his films yeah. without knowing what he looked like. And he <clears throat> ended up sending me an email that I had to decode. And I had index cards, and after I couldn't figure out what it said, I actually transcribed it exactly what I saw on the email to the card. And then I flipped the card upside down, and then it was legible. He had figured out some sort of text thing where... <laughs> so the letters was, were upside down? It wasn't just letters, though. It was like shapes and forms. I don't know what he translator he put it through. And uh, it said something like, I... I rode my bike straight from the party to Virgin Records in Union Square. I bought your CD. I listened to it nonstop, including in the shower. Blew my mind, of course. Uh, I love your words. Maybe we can make a band together. And, like, his first idea for a band was called Beer, which I hated. Or felt, not hated, but, like, felt guilty about or something. In retrospect, it's a great name for a band. And he even had the idea for doing a double bill with Can. (laughs) Huh. <laughs> and um, I ended up writing a bunch of stuff and we would meet at a studio and um, we had some good stuff going it was a big problem when the mixes were lost well, how that happen? <sighs> how can I put this there were a bunch of misunderstandings um, he was so at the top of his game and people were so freaked out by his celebrity mm-hmm. that it caused problems. Like distractions? <clears throat> yeah. Like, I mean, because he's overcommitted or busy or is it not, am I, am I missing felt like everyone wanted a piece of him and I'm not right. I don't know if I want I 
if it's fair to exonerate myself from that. But but he it sounded like he, up, he was interested line, in working with he PC. was he was the greatest. And the bottom line is, I ended up with rough mixes instead of mixes that you could mix mix. Oh, gotcha. So I ended up putting one of his songs on the latest mixtape, one of my favorite ones, where he had a sick piano solo on it. But the mix was lost, so I put my son with new lyrics over the solo instead. And that was one of the cool ones I could salvage. Basically, we had this cool project going where I've ended up releasing songs and dribs and drabs instead of probably as it should have been as a complete project. Well, the fact that it even happened, and it's like it seems like it was just over kind of a short period of time. Yeah. Yeah. A burst of creative energy. Yeah. That... And then he dragged me onto this film set where he sort of kind of gave me a job. I was like a script consultant. Okay. And then, like, I made a few small contributions to the script idea. You know, here's here's how it really was. It was after his split with, um, oh, my God, I'm blanking on his name, Charlie Kaufman. Mm-hmm. That partnership was on par with McCartney and Lennon, in my opinion. Uh huh. Yeah. I this is gonna. I hope this doesn't sound too pompous, but I think he saw in me a Charlie Kaufman contribution. I certainly don't have anything remotely resembling Kaufman's experience or skills in film. Right. Right. But I have some sort of overlap in like perspective and originality, maybe okay. joyness, something. Mm-hmm. Um, so really, people should do a double feature of Be Kind Rewind and Synecdoche, New York. Oh, wow. That's a Because good idea. that was his first, that was Charlie, that was the non-Gondry Charlie Kaufman. Interesting. Right? Right, right, right. So like. I love that movie. Basically, that was like Plastic Ono Band. And Be Kind Rewind was like Ram or something like that. <laughs> you see what I mean? Yeah, yeah. I feel you. That's a good comparison. And hmm. I don't know what happened between them, and I feel weird talking into your recorder, conjecturing about a personal friend. Right. But that was a legendary partnership. What they did together was some of my favorite art I've ever experienced. Yeah. Everything they did together was beyond amazing. I mean, to have that... You, did, you never met Charlie, though, right? No. Yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, it's amazing that you guys did music together because he's not known for that. He's a phenomenal drummer, and that was his initial desire. Okay. But when I found out about his keyboard skills, I was very demanding about u- utilizing them. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And he's sick on the piano and the keys. Mm. And some... and. At the studio we were using, there was an instrument called an octagon. Okay. Have you heard of that? It's one of the earliest sampling instruments, okay. which uses a, some sort of transparent plastic uh, disc encoded with like sine waves or something. It almost looks like a keyboard fueled by a record player, but it's like mm-hmm. a sampler before there were sampling keyboards. Mm-hmm. And man, he worked magic on that thing. What studio was this? It was recall? called Studio G. Interesting. And hmm. we use the owner's uh, bass skills and a lot of different stuff. And I have a few more songs that uh, we haven't released. 
I used divorce from those sessions on Thought Blue Mushroom Cloud. I put put me on your do not call list on the Blue Moon Kaboom mixtape I just mm-hmm. dropped. Um, I'm not sure if I released anything else from that period. My first son was just a baby then. I'd love to talk a little bit about um, It's True Mental. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> because you're on it, and that's a record I put out mm-hmm. with Paul. It's mm-hmm. an album that I asked him if we could do something like an instrumental album. I mm-hmm. remember because I'd, I'd interviewed him a couple of times for Elemental Magazine. And do you remember them? It's like a hip hop magazine. Sort of. It's like a traditional hip hop magazine in the early 2000s. So I wrote a cover story on Prince Paul, and I did a, I did, I'm good, and did a thing on Handsome Boy Modeling School, which you were on. Both of them? Neither of them? Okay. So, but... Um, I was on Deltron. Right. Yeah, when character. I f- when I found out what Del was working on, that was one of the few times ever I've been like, I'm on that album. Okay. <laughs> okay. I was ahead like, of time. What do you got for me? Right. And they had that beat and like that weird concept and everything. So through Automator or through Dell? Yeah, because that was a you know obviously a giant turning point in his career too. But I, just for a moment, at least, because of the songs on um, instrumental, um, there's two. You're on two. Yep. Um, well, I don't. The other the record's in the back of the room, but um, they're both very distinct and very different. Obviously, mm-hmm. inside your mind. And uh, you want that label off. I'm no. That. Yeah, I mean, if you want to. I love doing that. Which is such a bizarre record, too, and, like, your lyrics are, like, are really kind of, like, also very dark and, like... Okay, so that was initially a remix for some song called, like, Paper Cut or something. Okay. By, uh... Do you not know what I'm talking about? No. Are you serious? You put out the record. I didn't put out Paper Cut or something. I put out... Wait, what was the album called? I mean, the song called... It was that band. Shit, what was their... What were they... They were like really super popular, and the lead singer just killed himself last year. Um, I feel very. You know who I'm talking about? No. They were like Scott metal Lindeman? rap. No. <laughs> oh. Chester something. Yeah, from Lincoln Park. Lincoln Park. Yeah, yeah. Didn't they have a song called Paper Cut? I mean, uh, I'm afraid I, I wasn't extremely well versed in their material, and I apologize. Paul, if I hope anyone... you're not mad at me for re- revealing this, but. That was supposed to be a remix for a Linkin Park song. And Paul put me on it. I didn't know that. And then they were like, it sounds like they're, he's making fun of me. Oh, the lyrics And thing. he was like, no, that's just the way Barman is. <laughs> yeah, that's why I had this whole paper Oh, yes, thing I going. understand now. I did, not know, I did not know that that was from Talk that. about random, out of context, right? Yeah. So then uh, Linkin Park got dropped on it and Mr. Dead got put on it. Paul, I'm sorry if that was a secret. I don't think anyone cares I don't anymore. Think, I, I think it's fine. It's great. It's a good story. That's weird. And it's, it, you know, it's funny looking back, too, that that was chosen to be the single off the album. Like, it was like such a, it's such a bizarre song. I don't know if it got that in, in Boston Top, the two m- m- more bizarre like uh, tracks off the album. 
That might have been the my night my girlfriend left me. That's a good one. That should have been the single off the album, in my opinion. That is a good song. It's a great song, and you got. Uh, also, I love the song with Steinsky. Um, Paul came to my place to record that one. Nice. Yeah. So he brought the beat or something or what? Like what? Do yeah. you remember the? And Bemos was in the at the session too. Dope. Shout out to Bemos. Love you, Bemos. I love it because you because it's such a relatable. Bemos was my DJ at the Montreal Jazz Festival. <laughs> really? Yep. So people that might not know who Bemos is, that's like a close friend of Prince Paul and collaborator. He's on instrumental. I think he's on he's on psychoanalysis. He's the best. Yeah. But I want to talk about that song too because it's it's actually quite a beautiful song. Yep. And uh, you know. I think it's very relatable to a lot of people, men. Are you going to like cut to that song now? I I don't you really don't do, do any that. editing at all. <laughs> I don't really do that, but people can go ahead and reference that right now. Come on, you should do that. Come I on, could, let's break format. If I do it, then it's going to happen right now. And if I don't do that, then it's going to continue <laughs> going on. It could go either way. I might do it. It's all an effort. It's all just about putting the effort in. Um, I can do it because I put the record out, so it's fine. I mean, I don't think Prince Paul would mind. But yeah, where you're breaking down and groveling, you know, crying and pleading yep. with this woman, don't go, don't go. Um, I thought that was brilliant. And the very rare do you find that in a, well, in a I, rap song. I mean, those samples, the other stuff in this song is very evocative. Oh, yeah. I don't know exactly I love where you. it all came from. I, I think someone told me, and I think I have my own ideas, but... Um, yeah, who says I love you and I love you too? Who are those people? You should ask Paul that. But it all comes together co- cohesively. Okay. Yeah. I think it's a great song. It's one of my favorites on the record. I love that song. Yeah. Um, but you've continued to record and put out a bunch of stuff. You know what's funny? I remember the first time I ever listened to Open Mike Eagle. Mm-hmm. I was driving up. I had a show with Dame Funk in San Francisco. And I drove up with a guy named Matthew David. I'm not sure if you're familiar with him. He runs a record label out of LA called Leaving Records. It's a really, really great label. A lot of like beat-oriented stuff and some world music and ambient new age type shit. And he played me, he was the first one to play me Open Mike Eagle. We were driving up from LA to San Francisco together. His first record is still one of my favorites. That's the one you're on, right? I mean, before that. It's called Another Roadside Distraction. I gotta peep that. It's very, very good. It's self-produced. It's, I don't want to say tentative in uh-huh. its delivery. Hmm. It's fantastic. I love that joint. Well, I was like pleasantly surprised when uh, Matthew David was playing me what would, I guess, be his sophomore release or his second Which album, one? Which is the one, whatever the one you're on. I mean, you were on. I'm on a few of them. Yeah, but the earliest one. Because this was, this was already maybe 2010 or 11. Uh, that I was played this. It was my first time, but, but I made the connection because you were on the song that um, that Matthew played me. So, and unfortunately, I don't know it off the top of my head. Is it Exile from the Get Along Gang? It might have been. How many tracks do you guys have? Well, he's on two on my new album. Oh, that's what's up. I only have three features, and he's two of them. He's doing good things, man. I gotta give it to him. You know, he's, he's wonderful fabulous artist i love to see how that kind of trajectory of 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 of, of a certain kind of hip-hop artist is existing because we went to the show when he played here too 
Mini Factory show. Oh yeah, Monahan, and uh, you know to see Open Mike Eagle and Milo, uh, who another guy you've done some records with too. Not me. I look forward oh, to not working you. with him. Oh yeah, my older brother has worked. Yes, with him. Youngman. Um, but yeah, going back to Open Mike Eagle, I just think it's he, he's got a cool thing going on. It's nice to see someone that's coming out of a certain uh, lineage that's making contemporary stuff that's like engaging with people like on a higher level <laughs> I don't know and it's cool that, that you're getting pulled into that or you're finding yourself in that world because you're still like kind of working you've worked with like an, a, a kind of a very broad palette I work with the best artists on earth and Mike is one of them right but it all started with Prince Paul right and you just and that was just cold reaching out to him like yep. how did you call you just call them or you email nope them? no so my mother taught me that uh-huh. any time you want to reach somebody, you can send something through the USPS, care of whatever institution you know they're associated with. Okay. So when I made my first tape and first 7-inch, right. I sent it to a few people, and one of them was Prince Paul, care of Tommy Boy Records. To their office? Yep. Was he working with them at the time, or...? I guess so. Yeah, right. And it, and it made its way to him. I guess I had enough faith back then in federal law <laughs> that I was like, it's against federal law for them not to give it to him. <laughs> and Prince Paul was just, he had reached me on a soul level when I was growing up. Not just through Three Feet High and Rising, but, you know, when you have favorite producers, they create a sound that is like paralleling the waves in your brain and heart mm-hmm. where you're just you must have something in common and you're not sure what it is and I was so in love with his work uh, and so I, I just followed him the way you would follow I don't know a guru or or a mentor or I don't know it's, it's so weird that I didn't know him but if his work just connected with me wherever I found it whether right. it was Gravediggers or whatever yeah and when I did Enter Pan Man which was track one side two on my seven inch I was like he needs to hear this he's I don't want to say he's a co-author per se but I know he'll dig it he influenced it there's no doubt about it and so I sent it to him and uh, it got to him and then he wrote me a letter on Doo Doo Man Stationery that I got in Queens back when I lived in Forest Hills and was working at the Met and invited me to collaborate and I called it had his phone number on the letter I wish I still had that letter and uh, yeah me too I called him up and he played me the the instrumental for um, Salvation Barmy okay. over the phone. Mm-hmm. And the moment he played me that beat over the phone, I lost my... I don't want to say I lost my starstruckness, but I it initiated my collaborative vibration. Right. So you immediately engaged with Well, it. I was like, no wonder you wrote to me. Like, I have to rhyme on that. You know what I mean? 
And then he was like, let's do a whole LP. And then I flipped my wig, and then it it became an EP. Mm-hmm. And then that was stimulating. Yeah. Do you remember recording? Um, I mean, obviously the the kickoff. It was such a the what the joy of your world. Uh huh. Like the real first song, real kickoff. Oh, the kickoff is a such a identifiable you know record for you of that period mm-hmm. at least. What was? Do you remember how you recorded that? Were you guys? Did you? Did you? We recorded the whole thing in in LA in, in Long Island. Yep. At his spot. Yep. Amazing. I mean, it's not a lot of people can say that they could do a whole project with him. You know, there's very few that have done like a, a record where he does everything. You know. And well, I'm a little resentful. You know, it seems that Paul has taken a liking to my brother more than me. Is that right? I would love to keep recording with Paul, but like he's in love with the simplistic rhymes of young men. I, I don't know. I don't know what the deal is. Well, I gotta say on Redux on Paul's latest that um, the young men song and however you brought them two together is it was, undoubtedly I, they knew standout. each other before. But what you know, you gotta ask him. I'm not gonna speak for anybody else. I will admit that song came out crazy. I love it. Um, I even, you know, kind of say the chorus to myself when I'm in the <laughs> kitchen. You know? There's a way you can flip it. When it's like, uh, I, I forgot how I did it. Something about chicken wings, you know. It's not all about whips and chicken wings. Yo, son, it's not all, all about pimps, chicks, and chicken hands. Something like that. Do you remember the lyrics to, enter, to Pan Man? On Evan Yusey with Mercusi, than you've ever seen, left a young man out in... Dumb man, graduate of Evergreen, in his young undies, he read Sundays. New York Times up on it, but his CV's like the TV because there's nothing on it. Wow. So that I mean that. <laughs> what do you think out of the records that you've done? Uh, what are what are what stands out to you lyric wise that you're most proud of as far as <clears throat> lyrically? Because and here's the thing, and I preface this by saying you can think about it for a moment too, because there's a part of this conversation that I'm having with you now where I, I, I want, there's, I like to be able to get a lot more specific with lyrics that you wrote because I know that that was a new album. There's something. a song called undoing aloneness. Okay. Where the layers of meaning are pushed as far as I possibly can in contemporary lyrics. Is there a way you can break it down right now? I mean, it's not out yet. It's not going to be out for a few months at least. I can say this. When I heard Daylight, I was like, this is the vanguard of lyrics. His verse versus Jam, what's his name? Is it Joe P or something like that? Snap. I'm embarrassed that I'm forgetting his opponent's name. Okay. But he had a snake scheme that blew my wig back so hard. I was like, this is more advanced than um, Back on a White Horse. Where I invented this double acrostic structure. What, so how? What is that exactly? What's acrostic? Because I don't even know what that means. All right. And be gentle with me, man. I apologize. No, it's all good. I'm not. A, I'm not a. So the back cover of the postgraduate work, seven inch, is an original rhyming visual game. Right. And that's why I didn't just send it to Prince Paul. I didn't just send it to David Foster Wallace or Steve Martin or Willard Espy. 
I also sent it to R. Wayne Schmidtberger, editor-in-chief of Games Magazine, which excelled not just in excellent crossword puzzles, boring, but with original puzzles every issue, where the fun is not just in solving it, but learning how it works. Right. So they had things like cryptograms mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. crossword crostics or whatever they were called, where there would be like things that you would solve that would go horizontally and then things that meant something else going vertically. Okay. But I was like, what if it what if the ver what if the horizontal thing that represented one thing and the this isn't gonna make sense, and the horizontal thing work the same way as the vertical thing. Okay, but there's just two lines, right? So, okay, so like... So like, Cain said, I self, Lord, and Master. And if you were listening slash reading with your earballs, you would be like, oh, snap. He said, Islam. And then Wu-Tang took that to another level where they would incorporate acrostics I mean I've talked about this before I think Wu-Tang were the ones who took the cool tricky acrostics and acronyms of old school hip hop and incorporated it so organically into their rhymes that it was just another technique akin to rhyming or storytelling right but some of that is like 5% kind of vernacular too that's part of that um, language, you know. Uh, well, there's words in code. Bottom line is, you now have, cipher, you would listen. You, know? you would listen to it in a different way, right? You okay. would listen closely gotcha. to the mathematics and crystalline structure that informed the words that were being said, right? And not just to the rhythms. And the meanings and the rhymes. Yeah, like there would arm, be like, leg, leg, arm, head. Exactly, like right. yet another level. Right. So I was like, God, these guys are so, these guys are pushing it so hard. How can I keep pushing it? So I wrote this thing that ended up being a song called Back on a White Horse on Thought Blue Mushroom Cloud. In every album, I have attempted to push the formal aspect of wordplay as far as I possibly can and well that's clear in my grandiose aspirations you know farther than it's ever been pushed mm-hmm, mm-hmm. but you don't want that to be subsumed in gibberish right it has to so be, there's a fine line right it has to work on the surface first and reward multiple listenings second right which is hip hop a very hip hop style yes and in that Regard, I consider myself a traditionalist. Okay, I like I like coming to a conclusion because I want to be able to understand things in a certain way and and have the listener kind of like leave with some sort of greater understanding about uh, your work. Um, but you have an album that you've been working on slowly and diligently over the last um, would you say several years? Is that that's accurate? Yep. I can't hear you nod, you know. So, and how are you? I mean, so it's coming out in the spring? Yeah, it should be. How does it feel to, like, let that go and be out there? Man, releasing things is so incredible. 
Because now, and I don't mean to look back further, but I mean, so you've done, because you've, you've, you know, released music in a lot of different ways. So your career started putting something out on your own. Mm-hmm. And then you worked with a tiny kind of independent label and then a large kind of, uh, you know, marquee sort of indie, uh, meaning Matador. Okay. And, um, and then, uh, uh, and then did records on other people's labels and um, now you're back to controlling and releasing your own shit again. Right. You are listening to W-A-G-O-S Agustin Radio It's a blustery Thank God there's a record on <laughs> What did I say about Ag- Ag- Agastan It's like agony meets Kazakhstan <laughs> yeah, that's my, that's one of yours. See, that's not necessarily that's how I, not how I pronounce it, but but it I works. know it's Augustine, right? I like Augustine. August, but it, in Hungary it's totally different. What so does it mean? Does it mean something? No, it's just a common last name. I think there's. It must mean something. It's got to. It doesn't draw on like blacksmith or something. No, I don't think so. But um, there must be a root somewhere. There. Didn't you friggin' go back to your roots? You didn't find them? No, I'm first generation. I don't have to look far. You know, I don't have but to But you went to the mountains deep. with your bro, yeah? I did. I've been to the mountain. I've been back. Did you, you know? go to where your parents grew up? Well, my parents grew up in the city. They grew up in Budapest. Like, I've, been, I've been three times this year. You where know? did your grandparents grow up? In Budapest. But where did their parents grow up? Well, then it starts getting the outer areas, the countryside. Did you go there too? I have been, yeah, all over the country. I've been all over Hungary many, many times. I God, grew up going there. jealous. Um, it's a beautiful place, beautiful people. And I have had such a pleasure talking to you. Thanks, I, man. It's fun. It's still like kind of, uh, you know, the holidays are here still. With <laughs> it's <laughs> true. It's true. And it snowed like two feet today in New York. So I'm in a more of a celebratory mood than usual. You know, I'm trying to, you know, you know get us to the finish line. And You did uh, seem a little less stoic than lately. Yeah. This evening. I That's appreciate good. it. That's a good thing. Yeah. Stoicism is overrated, I think. <laughs> you know, um, it's good to cut loose a little bit, have some fun, and in the meantime, we talked it's about it's good to have some fun. <laughs> I'm in agreement. Uh, and we talked about some records. Yeah, for the heads, good. you know, you put out a lot of records, and I love that. And I'm not trying to not get... enough. Yo, I'm saying it's time to put out this record, this new album. I can't wait for the record to come out. Yeah, and congratulations on the mixtape. Thank you. And. Uh, and what about this young man guy? Wow, he's a sensation. You know, on the come up, he tells me he taught me everything I know. I guess that's true to a degree, right? He he could be whatever. He's a little simple-minded, but young man, I redact that. Very talented. Yeah, and he's got bars. He's got balls. Look, he's dope. He is dope. Um, and uh, and so are you. And I uh, love you, man. Thanks. And, uh, I love you back. And thank you for coming here. In oh my gosh. Storm. Let's go out. Yeah, let's party. Let's go tear down Brooklyn. <laughs> All right. Thanks so much for listening, y'all. I uh, hope you guys enjoyed it. My name is Peter Agostin. This is my weekly podcast, The House List. Don't forget to subscribe, especially on SoundCloud. I want to get the numbers up to 500 by the end of January. We're almost there. It means a lot to me. So get on SoundCloud. Start a SoundCloud page if you don't have one just to do it for me. It's the Houseless Podcast. That's where you can find it. 
for Paul's stuff, keep an eye out because he's got a new album coming out and I got it and it's pretty amazing with some incredible production and, um, you know, just incredible writing too. You can get that mixtape though that just came out as well, which is on par. You can find it on his band camp, which I mentioned at the beginning of the show. Also, if you never got that It's True Mental reissue that I dropped, just another friendly reminder cop that while it still exists i only made 500 copies of the wax and i know that we're down to the last small handful so get it while you can while it's out there i would say get it a red line if you can i put that uh link in the intro as well thanks again so much for tuning in every episode is edited and engineered by cj we had to do a little extra editing because we got a little loose and it was fun though uh, and i hope you guys enjoyed it too as much as I enjoyed recording it. All right, y'all. Stay warm out there. Good looking out. And I'm going to end uh, the show with uh, this joint from It's True Mental, Prince Paul, on the record we put out on Female Fun Records, featuring MC Paul Barman. Check it out. Peace, y'all. See you guys next show.